We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Alex, we, we last spoke about a week ago, I think, doing a rewatch of that 2015 Rockets-Clippers series, which at the time was a lot of fun. You know, we were still kind of scrounging for content at that point, and less than 24 hours later, little did we know that we would finally get the concrete news that really we've been waiting almost three months for. Um, you know, Woj, uh, last Wednesday, initially, I, I would hesitate to call it a leak, but essentially one day before the NBA announced anything, Woj released essentially all of the details uh, of the NBA's return to play plan. And of course, by the time you're listening to this, it's been almost a week. So a uh, good chance that if you're listening to this podcast, you already know the details, but that will not stop us from rehashing them, talking about which teams maybe have an advantage. Uh, we got some news as far as certain players being available, certain players not being available, what that all means. But uh, when you saw the news on Wednesday, um, when, when Woj tweeted it out, I think around 11 a.m. our time, 
what was your reaction? Um, is this is this kind of what you expected in terms of the number of teams, the format? Uh, what what were your initial thoughts? Uh, I, I think I was surprised that it included 22 teams. I mean, obviously they wanted to kind of give everyone a chance who was close to making the playoffs, an opportunity to make the playoffs. But I was pretty convinced that they would just go straight to the postseason, considering the you know the logistics of putting this all together with all the tests that they need and mm-hmm. um, having so many players in one location, et cetera. So I was surprised, but um, I also like uh, I also like the way they did it um, with a regular season games and. Um, basically just bringing every team to Orlando that is competitive. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way, you know, it, I, and I think it says a lot about how the public perception with coronavirus has shifted over the last few weeks, um, where it went from, you know, not all that long ago, we were talking about the possibility of them bringing like four teams or eight teams to Orlando or having to split between two sites because you don't want 16 or 22 teams all in one spot. And I, I think the maybe the, the public backlash that the NBA was was protecting itself against really did start to dissipate over these last couple of weeks. And, and obviously they felt comfortable bringing 22 of the league's 30 teams, which is a much higher number, I think, than anyone expected. Um, to me, it, it's a little bit more reading between the lines. It, it seems like it's more about playing playing more games, you know, locking in some of that revenue that would have been lost, locking in some of the player salaries that would have been lost than it is about, you know, maintaining competitive balance. I I mean, I I think Washington does not need to be in this. Washington is 16 games under 500 right now. And yes, mathematically, there was a chance that had the season gone on as normal, they they would have had a chance to pass Orlando. Um, But the same can be said about the Western Conference. I I think if there's one thing I'm glad that the NBA didn't do, it's that I I didn't want them to reseed one through 22 or one through 16 for the playoffs. I, I think that would have been unnecessary. Um, I, I think it was Zach Lowe on, on the ESPN Daily yesterday pointed that out, that he kind of said the same thing, where he's like, even though, yes, the Western Conference is better, the Western Conference is deeper, the gap this year isn't massive. You know, the, the, the 12 seed in the East is the New York Knicks that have 21 wins. The 12 seed in the West is the San Antonio Spurs that have 27 wins. You know, it's not like we have a 42-win team that's sitting in 10th or 11th place that it would be this travesty if they're not in. Um, you know, even the ninth place team, Portland, is eight games under 500. So um, I'm totally fine with, you know, one of that group of Memphis, Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento and San Antonio getting in instead of the league kind of trying to find a way to to shoehorn some of those Western Conference teams into the playoff. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, the disparity isn't as big as it is in, in a lot of these years. And uh, I think. You know, I think bringing the 22 teams, a lot of it is just trying to make sure most of the league's like stars are there um, that are on competitive teams, at least. You know, you get Bradley Beal with Washington, at least. You miss out on guys like Carl Towns. You miss out on guys like Trey Young. But again, you can't bring every team there. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I, I think receding would have been kind of unfair this season. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think that's something that's a decision you make like mid year. No, exactly. And I, I think the circumstances did give the league the agency to do whatever they wanted and it would have been fine. I mean, it, it's not in a regular NBA season. You couldn't, you know, in mid March, you couldn't just be like, Hey, just, just so you know, when the playoffs started a month, we're now going to do one through 16. I mean, 
I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised in that way that they didn't do it just because there really would have been like no repercussions. You know, even if it didn't work out or people didn't like it, at the end of the day, I don't think anybody would have held it against the league just because of the experimental nature of this whole thing. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't have a huge problem with playing the eight regular season games. I think, and I, I talked about this on the radio show with, with Liz and Jeff yesterday, it's going to be really interesting, I think, how each team handles those eight games. You know, I think if you're the Bucks or the Lakers, you know, the Bucks have a six and a half game cushion on Toronto for the one. The Lakers have a five and a half game cushion on the Clippers for the one. Like those teams are going to be handling these eight games a lot differently than say the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Thunder, the Celtics, the Heat, the Pacers. Like there's going to be a lot of jockeying, I think, for seeding in that like three through seven range in both conferences. Yeah. For a team like the Bucks, you would think as soon as they lock in the number one seat, they just, <laughs> and they lock everyone in their hotel room uh, and tell them, don't leave, be healthy for the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, I think I, it, it will be interesting to see how, especially because, you know, like you you mentioned the West, everyone's kind of jockeying for position still. Um, but, you know, there are going to be plenty of teams that very quickly are going to be out of it. You know, if the, if the Kings lose three in a row or something like that, they're done, essentially. So... Mm-hmm. At that point, do they just treat it like they would at the end of the uh, the end of the normal regular season, where they just play all their young guys? Not that the Kings are playing a ton of veterans anyway, but um, I think I think by the end of this, you know, the last two or three games of this regular season, there will be a lot of teams playing their like skeleton crew, mm-hmm. as would be the case at the end of the normal regular season. Right, very true. I mean, one of the last teams to sneak in, the Spurs. I mean, they just announced yesterday that LaMarcus Aldridge apparently underwent season-ending surgery back in April. And we had no idea about this. And, I mean, he's just not going to be a part of that team. And I don't think anybody was really expecting the Spurs to be the team that that challenges Memphis for the eight seed. But without Aldridge, you could virtually cross them off. Um, so I, I agree with you. I, and one thing that Liz asked me yesterday was, you know, do you think that in that scenario you laid out, you know, with the Kings, you know, maybe they start 0-3 and, and they're mathematically out of it, or the Bucks win their first two and lock up the one. Like, is there going to be backlash if Giannis only plays three of these first eight games? Uh, my answer was no. I, I think that people will just be happy that basketball's back. I think people will understand that, especially in the Giannis circumstance, <clears throat> you're playing for something bigger. You know, you're, it's not like that's the last time you're going to see Giannis. He's going to play every single playoff game a week later. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. Plus, you're dealing with coronavirus. So, like, every time they step <laughs> out on the court is, like, added risk. Um, and you don't necessarily want to add any any risk that, you know, is unnecessary. So, I don't I don't think there will really uh, be any backlash. Because th- we're going to basically be in the playoffs very soon. Um, and right. I'm, not, I'm not too worried about that. Right. And I, I think that these initial games will, will fly by. You know, and I, I think the... The notion of the tournament, like the play-in tournament, sounds really cool. And, you know, when you read that first report that came out on Wednesday, um, you know, that, I think that was maybe like the most revolutionary thing that the NBA is trying. But to call it a play-in tournament is pretty generous. It's a two-team uh, mini-series, I guess. Uh, I, I don't think tournament is even the right word. I mean, it could be over in one game if, you know, let's say it's Memphis right. and Portland and Memphis wins right away and they're the eight. That's just it. You know, that, I, I don't think it's a true play-in tournament like maybe we thought we were going to get a couple weeks ago. No. I mean, I'm glad they, they implemented, um, you know, something like that. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, it, earlier it seemed like we might get some sort of, 
you know, like every team in the league or we were talking about the group stage thing before. And right. Um, but in the end, it's just ended up being very normal. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. So I sent you a headline earlier this morning. Um, Joe Varden for The Athletic was on a, a Cavs podcast this week, and he, he revealed that the Cavs are apparently really upset. I think the word he used, and you know, cover your ears, he said they were pissed that they were not included in this tournament. The Cavaliers are the second worst team in the league. They are 19 and 46. They're in last place in the Eastern Conference. I mean, do, do teams like the Cavs, the Bulls, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Hawks, um, and in the West, it's only two teams, Minnesota and Golden State. Do these teams have any case to actually be upset about this? Uh, no. I mean, they're going to say that they want the opportunity to develop their young players, etc. But nobody wants to watch these teams. Like the this the cutoff that the NBA used is like the competitive cutoff, where these bottom eight teams that aren't in it just are not competitive basketball teams. And like maybe you know, I, I can see like Chicago being upset because they're like, well, we're finally healthy now. Uh, you know, oh, we we're better than our record indicates. But like, I, I don't know, man. There's just there's only so much you can do in the situation, and I think 22 teams is actually like more than enough uh, in this case. Yeah, I agree. Although I think the counter argument maybe is if you're going to go to 22, why not go all the way to 30? You know, if you're if you're not just going to cap it at the playoff teams, like I, I can kind of see that perspective. You know, like I don't I don't think those teams, at least I hope they don't see themselves as like dark horse title contenders. You know, I, I cannot imagine that the Cavs are sitting at home like, man, if we were there, I think we could make a run. I think it's more like, look, if 22 teams are going to be playing eight regular season games, why not just bring the the other eight and let them participate at least in the end of the regular season? Um, but it does sound like, you know, shortly after all this was announced, um, you know, Woj and the NBA followed up. And it sounds like those eight teams are basically going to get together for like an NFL style OTA mini camp, like almost a mini summer league. Um, so, you know, whatever development that you're maybe losing out on by not being in Orlando, I, I think the NBA is going to hope to find a way to recoup that for those eight teams. Yeah, that would I think that would make sense. So I mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge. He will not be participating for San Antonio. I, I think the other side of this, you know, guys who are coming back from injury is probably what's a lot more exciting than, than the guys who won't be there. Um, and the big, I think the biggest team to look at from that perspective, at least in the Western Conference, is Portland. You know, I mean, this is a team that didn't have Joseph Nurkic for last year's run to the Western Conference Finals. He got hurt right at the end of the regular season. The expectation, from what we've heard, I mean, they, I don't think they've really said anything definitive, but he was basically on the cusp of coming back in mid-March. And, you know, when you fast forward now to basically August, by the time this thing really gets going, it's hard to imagine that he won't be available. I, I think the question for Nurkic specifically is how comfortable will he be on that leg? I mean, this is basically a like Kevin Ware, Paul George style injury. And with Paul George, I, I think he, his happened in August and he came back at the end of that next season. So he was, he was back in like eight months and looked like a complete shell of himself, but was back to 
MVP caliber Paul George essentially to begin that next year. So if you're kind of following that same timeline and you're assuming that Nurkic has used these last couple of months to build up strength, I, I think there's a decent chance at least that he comes back and looks like a really productive player for them. Maybe it takes a couple games to get there, but I, I wouldn't expect him to be on like a 12 minute limit, you know, to begin this. Yeah, both him and Zach Collins, I think, are expected to be healthy enough to play, uh, which is really interesting for them because their their front court depth was their like problem all season. Right. Um, and you can take, you know, you can basically, I, I don't know, maybe they'll try to split minutes between Nurkic and, and Whiteside, um, and then you can take some minutes away from, like, uh, <laughs> maybe Carmelo to give them to Zach Collins. No, no, or... no, no, no. <laughs> not possible. <laughs> um but yeah i mean i think i think if, if the trailblazers are fully healthy um i mean there's a chance they could rattle off mm-hmm. you know i mean they could easily win six of the eight games if they're completely right. healthy and Nurkic and collins are as good as um you know they kind of live up to the potential yeah. even post-injury so for one I, I saw this on twitter yesterday and i'm really upset that i didn't think of this Melo has a potential to like go off in this format right like this is basically the Chris Brickley gym Instagram videos from the summer, right? I mean, that's what these games are going to look like. Like, this is exactly his comfort zone. I think so. Um, I don't. I don't know exactly what their schedule is, but hopefully, you know, we we can. <laughs> yeah, we can see him. I mean, maybe they'll allow him to play in a hoodie. Right. I was going to say. Uh, NBA has yet to clarify its hood policy in Orlando. Right. Maybe he can claim it's it's for health purposes or or something like that. I mean, maybe he can put a mask. You know, they have those giant warm-ups with the hoods. Maybe you can just zip that over his face, too. Um, just claim we'll it's a corona uh, precaution. Yeah, I think I think yes. that's very possible. So I, I think it's a distinct possibility that, that the Blazers are the team that maybe challenges Memphis most for that eight seed. I think I think the Pelicans have just become vastly overrated. I, I know that's it's become, like, weird to criticize the Pelicans. Like, people talk about this team— like they like they've won every single game since Zion came back, and that's just frankly not the case at all. I mean, they lost three of their last five games before the break. I mean, it, it's not like this team was on this crazy run whatsoever. They were basically a 500 team, you know, over the last month or so before the shutdown. I, I think that they're they're overrated, and I think Portland, you know, having Damian Lillard, having, in my opinion, a better and and certainly a more experienced core in place, is the team that could really give Memphis a run. My question is, if you're the Lakers and you're assuming that they're going to hold out of that one seed, you still want to play Memphis, right? Like, I, I think I'd rather play Memphis than than definitely Portland, definitely New Orleans. You know, Memphis versus Sacramento is kind of a toss up. I, I think we could cross Phoenix and San Antonio out. I don't, those teams are going to be there, but they're not really in contention. If you're the Lakers, what matchup would you prefer in round one? I think Memphis. You're right. I mean, I think they're just the least experienced team. Like, you got rookie point guard. Um, and just like not a ton of experience depth on the roster uh, at this point. So like, I just think, I mean, I think out of those three teams, even though they have the best record, I think they're the worst of those three teams right now. Yeah. And it, it's kind of kind of intuitive because they have the best record of those teams, but they've, you know, they've also been the healthiest and, you know, despite having a record just below 500, they're 32 and 33. They, I don't know. They, they, they kind of feel like the team that maybe outperformed itself, whereas Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento maybe underperformed a little bit. And I, th- I think I trust the guys on those more veteran-laden teams uh, than, than I do Memphis. Uh, one thing I pointed out on the on the XM show yesterday, um, I think Utah 
is the team that everybody's going to want to play. And you don't see it very often in the NBA where, where teams are like outwardly trying to get a matchup in round one or trying to position themselves for a matchup in round two. If anything, you see it the other way where teams are scrambling to avoid a certain team or a certain side of the bracket. But, you know, I, I think there's, there's potential to be a lot of movement from two to seven in the West. I mean, those teams are separated by five and a half games, the Clippers at two Dallas at seven, um, and it tightens up even more. I mean, it's a four-game spread from Denver at three to Dallas at seven. So, I mean, those teams could honestly finish in just about any order. Um, but I, I think if I'm OKC, if I'm Denver, if I'm Houston, certainly, uh, I would I would want to play Utah more than any other team in that group. Well, Utah is is without Bogdanovich now because uh, exactly. he, uh, yeah, because he he got season-ending wrist surgery and, and so i mean he's i mean he's like 20 points a game for them and right. without not, him not i mean you're even with him right and so without him like you it's a pretty harsh downgrade to like you know royce o'neill and you know georges nang and uh whoever whoever else so i i, mean, I, I could see oh, go, sorry, ahead. go ahead no i was done well jo- i mean joe ingles has openly talked about just not coming over too, depending on on what the coronavirus situation is. I, I wouldn't expect that to happen. Um, but I mean, if losing Joe Ingles would, I think, just kind of be the death knell for them. But on top of that, you have the Gobert Mitchell dynamic, which already was not in a great place before all of this, and now I think is probably in like the worst place that it's ever been. I mean, it just it just seems like everything is kind of moving in the wrong direction for Utah, whereas. Every other team, like maybe things aren't going in the right direction for anybody right now. This whole thing is going to be strange, but um, I, I just feel like Utah is a lot more vulnerable than Denver, OKC, Houston. Um, so, I mean, if I'm Dallas in the seven specifically, like I think the seven spot is where you really don't want to be, right? Like assuming the Clippers finish two, I, I really like Dallas a lot. I think they're about as good of a seven seed as you're ever going to find. They're 13 games over 500. They have, you know, arguably a top five player in Luka Doncic, but. I, I don't think I don't think anybody's beating the Clippers in round one. No, I don't think so either. You really want to get into that that six seed for sure. What about in the East? Is there a team that you view, you know, that you look at the way I look at Utah, a team that's maybe a little more vulnerable? Uh, I guess I don't have I I don't necessarily have a ton of faith in in the Indiana, even though they've shown that they've been playing very well all year um and i kind of have my doubts about miami as well um they they had a huge home court advantage um i mean as of right now it looks like they'll play each other i think uh so that that'll be interesting at least but yeah neither of those teams i have like a ton of faith in um it's just like neither of them have that that like standout star like jimmy butler is really good uh, but not necessarily. I, I don't know if he can carry a playoff team now like he used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really know for the Pacers if Sabonis slash Brogdon can carry a playoff team. Um, and that there are guys you can rely on every single night um, in in the playoffs to not get like shut down. I mean, you could put Bam Adebayo on Sabonis, and that's mm-hmm. pretty worrying. Uh, and you'd like throw Jimmy Butler on Malcolm Brogdon. And I'd, I'm, I'd be pretty worried that they would just shut down the the Pacers. Oladipo is starting to look a little bit better, but I'm not right. entirely convinced. 
Oladipo is the major wild card to me. You know, I, I think if he comes back and looks like the same guy that he was in January and February, then Indiana probably loses in round one or at best makes it to round two and loses. But if he, you know, I think you could make the argument at least on paper and who knows what's been going on behind the scenes. But if he, if he really felt like he was at like 75% when the season shut down and he's used the last four months to get back right. to the player that we expected, like that changes everything, right? I mean, if, and it, we have to remember, I think you and I have been, I've kind of harped on this in a fantasy context a few times that Oladipo really wasn't all that good last year before the injury. I mean, it's, it's been a couple of years since he had that, that monster, monster season when he was like arguably the best defensive guard in the NBA and still giving you like 23 a night and was, was just an awesome player. Like, he really wasn't that guy last year. So it's probably a little bit unrealistic to expect him to just like zap back to, to being that all of a sudden. But you would have to imagine given the circumstances of his injury, like remember they were, they were holding him out of like every other game for a while. Like, it's hard to imagine that he'll be in any worse condition than he was back in March. That's true. And, you know, if he can just be like a solid, you know, 15 points a game with good defense, a few assists, a few rebounds, I mean, that will be a huge help for them because they lost Jeremy Lamb. Right. Um, and, you know, you're trying to replace Jeremy Lamb's minutes with a rock, with a lot of like Aaron Holiday and Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott. And that's not <laughs> not a deal. So how much do we trust Brooklyn to hold on to a playoff spot? No Kevin Durant, no Kyrie Irving. That's officially confirmed. I mean, they're not, they're really not that far ahead. You know, they're, they're ahead of Orlando in the standings, but only by a half game. So if if you're somebody that thinks Washington has a legitimate chance to get into the playoffs, like to me, it's almost equally likely that they would pass Brooklyn or Orlando. Like Brooklyn doesn't have this huge gap between them and the magic. And they're really only up. What is it? I guess it's six games between Brooklyn and Washington. That is a lot. Um, but at the same time, you have to remember that only these 22 teams are playing. So like in theory, there's really not going to be any easy wins on the schedule during this eight-game regular season. Right. And I mean, they're going by winning percentage, right? True. Is that how they're doing it now? Um, yeah, to account for the fact that not every team will have played the same number of games. Right. Yeah, I mean, on paper at this point, the Nets don't really look that much better than Orlando or Washington. Like, it's no. Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert, which is pretty nice. But then, you know, you're kind of uh, very quickly you go into like the Joe Harris, Wilson mm-hmm. Chandler, Torian Prince um, tier. And if you're, you know, if you're someone like Washington, you know, you have Brad Beal. Obviously, their tier falls off faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but Beal is better than anyone on the on the Nets. Uh, right now by far and Orlando has Vucevic um, and they're still getting like I mean Aaron Gordon was playing extremely well before the season stopped so yeah I could see I could see Brooklyn falling out I wouldn't bank on it but I could well I mean they fired Kenny Atkinson I mean they have a they're gonna have a different coach too yeah do they even have a coach right now I totally forgot (laughs) I don't don't think they do do they (laughs) Kyrie Irving player coach Kyrie and KD are going to co-coach this team. Kyrie did hint, or at least Woj hinted, that Kyrie might go there to watch. I, I feel like I wouldn't count on that. He's Orlando doesn't seem like the place he wants to really hang out right now. I'm looking at the Washington schedule before the shutdown. Like in the last, <coughs> excuse me, in the last month before the season was suspended, they had they took losses to Golden State, Atlanta, um, Chicago, Cleveland. A couple, a couple good ones. You know, they lost to Milwaukee twice. They lost to Utah, but 
you know, they lost to an undermanned Portland team. They lost big to Sacramento. Um, I mean, this could this could easily be quite a bit closer. And I, I think if they were starting out with the same record going into this, I would I would almost be tempted to pick Washington over Orlando. Like I just don't trust the Magic at all. And they won't have Jonathan Isaac back, by the way, which we have officially heard uh, right. from Orlando at the end of last week. I would still trust the Magic. I just think they've been. I just think they're more coherent, and most of these guys have played together for longer. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're way. I mean, they're a way better defensive team. They do have a head coach. Uh, they, they have a head coach. Huge advantage. Uh, yeah. I'd, <laughs> Doesn't it seem the, uh, like five years ago when they beat Toronto in game one? That was last season. That does seem like ages ago. Um, yeah, wild. Unbelievable. That was a Kyle Lowry zero-point game, right? <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, how the tables turned. Okay, so we have a correction. The Nets do have a coach. It is Jacques Vaughn. He did coach, what, one game, I think, before the season was shut down? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Very memorable one game. Yeah, now that I think about it, that would have been a bigger story, right? You'd be like, oh, man, we need to get a coach. Like we, The season is resuming in six weeks. Um, what did you think of Adam Silver's initial statement last week when he, I, to me, I got on a limb and went probably further than he should have. And the fact that he kind of retracted it the next day says a lot. But he kind of implied like, hey, there's a chance that some of these coaches like either might not be allowed in the bubble or we'd have to work something out where they're not on the bench, not on the sideline. Um, you know, referring to guys like Greg Popovich, who I think is like 71, um, you know, Mark, Mike D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry, guys who are 65 plus uh, D'Antoni, 69 Gentry, 65. There was kind of this implication that, you know, some of these older coaches, whether it's a head coach or an assistant or someone else on staff, like, you know, they might not be able to be on the bench. So it, at first it led to the speculation that, are we going to have like an NFL style coaching situation where Mike D'Antoni's like up in the booth with a headset relaying <laughs> his, his defense calls to somebody. I, I don't know if they put like an earpiece in James Harden or, you know, probably an assistant on the bench, but that was met with quite a bit of resistance right away from virtually every coach. And uh, Rick Carlisle uh, ended up on TNT later that night when they were just kind of doing a general discussion. And he kind of was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And, you know, the next day, Adam Silver, you know, kind of smoothed things over. And it, it doesn't sound like any coaches are going to be restricted. But I think the main thing that the NBA wanted to stress with that announcement, whether they actually meant it or not, was, hey, even though we're bringing 22 teams and, you know, upwards of probably 1,500 people into this bubble, we're still trying to exercise safety. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, I just I cannot imagine that the league would ever go as far as to ban a coach from being on the bench. You know, at the very least, they would say, we don't recommend that you do it and leave it up to the coach, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, like, you have to let the coaches know that it's an option and that they won't right. be punished for not doing it. And that, you know, the the league, I think, wouldn't want... I mean, maybe some of it was the league making sure or trying to make sure that if a coach uh, didn't want to show up, that fans wouldn't blame the coach or that like sure. or the fans would put the blame on the league instead. But um, yeah, you have to just, I, I guess, let these guys make their own decision. I mean, I can see some of them leaving early. <laughs> like, I, like I could see Popovich dipping out after like game five, if they lose, you know, four in a row or whatever. Yeah, no, that's totally possible. I, I could see that if they were officially mathematically eliminated for sure. Right. Um, but even, even if they do leave it up to the coaches, which I, I think will ultimately be the case at the end of the day, I think it's up to everybody, right? I mean, it, we haven't seen this yet, yeah. but if 
if a player, you know, if an older player, obviously there's no 70 year old players in the NBA, but if, you know, Jared Dudley says to the Lakers, look, I, I have a family. I don't feel comfortable. You know, maybe a lot of these guys, you know, live with their parents, you know, take care of grandparents, things like that. I don't think that the NBA or a team would actually stop them. I think the bigger message is that almost universally players want to play and certainly coaches want to coach. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, it seems like they're going to be very like proactive with how often players are tested and everything like that. You know, it sounds like they're going to be tested at least once a day. Right. And so you figure if you're an older player, older coach, that when you're out there on the court, nobody remote, nobody in that building has coronavirus. Right. So if you got it somehow, then I mean, like, how did you get it? Exactly. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that you're much safer in the bubble than you would be outside of the bubble, right? Especially as things start to open up. Like in most major cities, most of these guys all live in a major city, obviously, where the team is located. Like, you're a hell of a lot safer in a extremely, you know, they're taking every precaution possible, kind of unlimited money to make sure this works. You're way safer in Orlando than you would be just hanging out at home in New York or L.A. or Boston or wherever. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't really think of it like that. But if everyone's being tested every day and everything's being cleaned, you know, a ton. Right. Um, not that like things in cities aren't being cleaned, but, you know, with the it's a smaller zone. So the attention to detail can be greater. And yeah, right. I mean, I think being in the bubble can be actually a lot safer than than otherwise. Yeah, right. And I, I, Same thing that you said. I mean, I, I'm not implying that places are doing a bad job of being clean, but like I would trust the NBA and it's and it's funding and it's infrastructure to make sure that every single thing in this bubble is sterile, as opposed to like the 17 year old kid at pick and save who's disinfecting the carts, you know, like I, I just, I just think that the steps are going to be there and it's actually going to end up being really safe. And, you know, you start to hear a lot of talk about what's going to happen. What's the contingency plan. If LeBron James tests positive for Corona, like I, maybe I'm just being too optimistic. I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I think we're going to get like halfway through this thing and look back and be like, this is actually going pretty well. Yeah, I think it depends on like how strict exactly the bubble is. Yeah. I know they're like they want players to be able to interact with each other, maintain social distancing, etc. But um, yeah, depending on how big or, or or how yeah, I guess strict the bubble is, then mm-hmm. I mean, from what it sounds like, it doesn't really sound like that. But like LeBron, if LeBron contracted coronavirus, it seems like something weird would have had to happen. Right. Uh, and and so I guess that's a good vibe. The that it seems like that's the case. Maybe one argument to the contrary is that I would bet at some point between now and mid-October, one or two players have to leave the bubble. You know, like let's say a family member outside the bubble passes away or there's some sort of emergency. Like there's there's no possible way that all these guys are going to stay self-contained right. in the bubble the entire time. And on the other side of that is the fact that, you know, the pool continues to narrow as we get deeper. You know, you don't have 22 teams staying there through October. By that point, you'll be down to two teams and the risk is astronomically lower. But yeah, and, and the NBA has said, I think if somebody leaves the bubble, there's a 10-day quarantine period required. They have to pass two straight or two consecutive tests, um, proving them negative. So they're already laying it out there. Like if you have to leave, you know, because I think at some point they know somebody will have to. I mean, you're, the league's not going to prevent somebody from going to a funeral if it's, if it's uh, you know, a close family member. So it'll be interesting to see how that's handled. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a bridge they'll have to cross at some point. Another aspect of this uh, kind of related to Corona and, and more so related to just the kind of general restructuring of the league calendar um, 
you know, usually at the end of the year, you start to see teams, uh, you know, load up on like 10 day players, especially teams that are out of the playoffs, uh, team signing guys to, you know, we, we've written a number of these stories for RotoWire, like, you know, a team signs some random guy you've never heard of to a multi-year contract, which ends up being completely non-guaranteed. But basically the point is maybe you get a look at him for five or six games at the end of the schedule. And then that player's under contract with you for the summer. So they can work out with you. You get, you know, you get more of a look at your facility all through the off season. Generally, a lot of them will stay with you through training camp, through the preseason. And then most of those guys end up getting cut before the following season. But with everything in so much flux, uh, the league has kind of had to restructure how they do that. So now there's going to be a quote unquote transaction window, which is going to start in or at or around June 22nd. Um, and at that point, you know, teams will be allowed to convert two-way players, sign free agents uh, for you know, that can come along with them to Orlando, assuming that rosters um, are expanded, which seems like it's going to happen. Uh, but there are also teams like Charlotte, Cleveland, Golden State, Detroit, Minnesota. Uh, none of those teams will be in Orlando, but those teams all actually had open roster spots anyway. So you would imagine that teams like that will, will really take advantage of this and you know, maybe just, you know, use what use like whatever this kind of manufactured training camp is going to be to to kind of get a leg up and and try to find their version of like, you know, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, guys like that uh, were added by Miami during the last week of the 2019 season and then ended up becoming major contributors a year later. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these uh, the teams that won't be in the bubble are getting like a double summer league yes. or like double training camp. And I actually think that's kind of good. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily something like the league's going to try to do moving forward. Uh, but like, yeah, I think, I think giving those teams an opportunity to, you know, um, use the fact that they're out of the, you know, out of competitive play to like bring more guys in, um, scout talent, et cetera. I think that's ultimately a good thing. Right. We'll see what the limitations are, but I, I think there's a case to be made that if you're Cleveland or you're Detroit, you might end up getting more out of this intensive training camp where it's just more controlled. You know, you can, you can put guys through the drills you want. Right. You can, you know, you're not just playing games where you have a 48 minute limit. You know, you can, I think it's, you're probably going to get a better chance to get a look at younger guys, at least, you know, I don't know how much it's going to benefit Steph Curry or Carl Anthony Towns or, you know, Taj Gibson, whoever you're talking about there. But I think for, from an evaluation standpoint, it could end up being beneficial I, where it starts to get interesting for the teams in Orlando is you know, one name that I saw when I, I was looking through some like hoops hype rumors today. And this is extreme, extremely rumorish. It's not a report by any means. But uh, writing about the Lakers, Dave McMenamin suggested that there's a possibility that DeMarcus Cousins can now rejoin this team. And <laughs> it's important to clarify that we're talking DeMarcus Cousins, who is coming off of a torn Achilles and a second torn ACL. Um, so this is... Uh, or no, actually, it's his first torn ACL, right? I guess he didn't have, he tore his quad tendon, I think, with Golden State. So torn quad tendon, torn ACL, torn Achilles. I mean, not someone that you'd really expect to get a ton out of. But if rosters expand, it sounds like there's a decent chance that that LA would be willing to give him back or bring him back. Uh, I, I think you'd obviously have to temper expectations. I, I don't think that, and this is already a team that's pretty center laden with Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. I don't think they exactly need DeMarcus Cousins, and he's probably much more of a name than an actual value at this point. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if let's say rosters expand to 17, all of a sudden, you know, all 22 of those teams are going to be kind of in a race to to add guys who by the end of this might end up being contributors. 
Yeah, that would be really uh, interesting. I mean, I, I'm with you, and like, I don't have a lot of faith in, in DeMarcus Cousins, but I think if you have the opportunity to bring him in, you just do it because of his upside. Um, and it'd be better than, you know, whoever your other, your fourth string center is otherwise. You kind of have right. to plan for some of that stuff. Yeah, um, and the key, too, is you're not, if you're getting expanded rosters, you don't have to cut someone. I think that would be more difficult if you right. had to actually make room. If, if he's just like a bonus player, there's pretty much no downside to doing it. Um, but I, I mean, like we said, I, I don't think there's really a scenario in which we, we fast forward to the NBA finals and DeMarcus Cousins is like, well, you got LeBron or Cousins for finals MVP. But I mean, he did have three really good games for the Warriors last year in, in the finals. I mean, he didn't play at all after game two of round one missed all that time and then came back and, and basically won them game two against Toronto with you know a double, double and six assists in, in 28 minutes and, and played really well actually for, for parts of the rest of that series, but really poorly at times as well. But you know, you look at another guy that comes to mind, like Jamal Crawford, I think there's a lot of teams that would love to just add Jamal Crawford basically for free. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, yeah, like any team, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe some of the more established teams will want to add him. Um, I could see like teams like Denver, Utah, Miami like passing. Right. But if you're if you're Brooklyn, if you are like Memphis or something, I, I Orlando even, yeah. um, I can see them giving him a shot because but like you alluded to, like what do you have to lose here? Mm-hmm. I don't have a list in front of me. Like there's not a great place to just find like list of best free agents right now. But you would imagine like the Lakers, the Clippers the Bucks would just be at the front of the line. So like whichever players do emerge, you know, you have guys who've been playing overseas who now might be eligible. Um, like there's a decent chance that, that someone or some ones who are picked up uh, during this expanded roster period, assuming it does happen, would end up playing uh, a decent role for, for one of these teams. And the better teams are obviously deep enough that the hope is you wouldn't even have to, to dip that far into your roster, but you never know. Yeah. So we could revisit some, odds for both the awards and for the playoffs uh, in Orlando. There's really nothing groundbreaking here. DraftKings Sportsbook has um, odds on all of the like the lower teams, basically seven and below in each conference to reach the playoffs. Those are almost exactly what you'd expect. Memphis is the, the heavy favorite to reach the playoffs in the West. They're at minus 150. The next lowest is New Orleans at plus 400. And then you have Portland at plus 450. Things drop off quite a bit after that but i mean I, I think that goes along with with what you'd expect right yeah yeah i think that's i think that's all in line with yeah with what would have been the case anyway and even if you think portland or new orleans can close the gap like if you're assuming that memphis is going to finish eighth whether that triggers the playoff or not like they still have to be the heavy favorite just because of the the, the fact that they just need to win one game as opposed to two. And and I, I think even if you don't trust Memphis that much, that's really, has, that has to be baked into the odds. Right. Eastern Conference uh, winner, the Bucks are still the heavy favorite. They're at minus 165. Boston and Toronto, both at plus 700. Miami and Philly, both at plus 900. Yeah, that's pretty much unchanged from where we were back in March. The West, about the same. Lakers are plus 160. Clippers are plus 180. Uh, interestingly though, the Houston Rockets are plus 700 and that's a pretty big gap between them, uh, and Denver at plus 1200. So, um, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I, I kind of like Houston as, as the team that with all this chaos and, you know, this weird format 
it does seem like maybe Houston's the one team that could take advantage of it more than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, plus 700 is pretty good for them. And um, I mean, I even like plus 1200 for Denver, but I'm just, I just really like Denver in general. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think they can, they can definitely take advantage. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, we didn't, we didn't get to see a ton of like that, the post Clint Capella Rockets before the season shut down. Um, and so, you know, it's still kind of up in the air as to how effective that is. Cause I think we got like basically a 10 game sample. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, I think they could come out and surprise a lot of people. Um, there's also a possibility that they come out and flounder pretty heavily, but I do like plus 700 for them. And I like also like plus 900 for Philly, but I've been saying all year that I still think Philly has a pretty good shot of, being the ones who end up in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks, I think those teams are actually really similar. Not in their style of play, but in how how they're viewed. Like I, I think like the, the upside is higher for Houston than it is teams that are technically better than them. To me, like even though I, I I'm with you, I like on paper I like Denver more than Houston, but at the same time, like I would give Denver zero chance to beat the Lakers or the Clippers. Whereas even though the Rockets are like objectively a worse team than Denver. For some reason, I could see them like having a fighter's chance against the Lakers or the Clippers, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a little worried that the Rockets can be schemed against yeah. more easily because they have such like a because their scheme is so like concrete and so like laid out um, as opposed to like Denver, which I think can be a lot more fluid as a team and would be harder to like wall off. But um, yeah, I yeah, I'm not sure. But I, I mean, I think the odds for both those teams are appropriate because like you alluded to, both the L.A. teams, I think, are so far out ahead of everyone else in that conference that you would just you know, put your faith in them to to win a series. Right. And something that we harped on, you know, not only over these last couple of months, but even when we've been discussing these odds all year, like if you're Houston or you're Denver or Utah, Dallas, OKC, whoever, you have to beat the Lakers and the Clippers to get to the finals. You know, that's I think that's what's really tough is you could even if Houston were like were able to pull the upset on the Lakers in round two, you know, you then have to go beat the the real final boss and the Clippers in the in the conference finals. And that's what's really hard to imagine, you know, whereas like the Lakers and the Clippers obviously only have to play each other. Um, so the odds certainly make sense there. The title odds uh, essentially reflect this. Lakers and Bucks are still co-favorites on DraftKings at plus 250. Uh, the Clippers are slightly behind now, a little bit further behind than they were for much of the regular season. They're they're at plus 333. Uh, then you have a sizable gap to Houston, again, at plus 1,300. Uh, Boston at plus 2,000. Toronto plus 2,200. And the Sixers at 28-1. to 1. So and we haven't talked uh, much about the Sixers. I'm with you, though. Like I said, I, I kind of see them as like the Houston of the East, where even though the results on paper have not been there whatsoever— uh, every like once every two weeks, they would have a game where you're like, is this team the best in the NBA? And if they can somehow, again, even though there's been no evidence that they can do this, like if they can put that together for three weeks straight, you know, it's not inconceivable to see them as, as the team that could really challenge Milwaukee. I mean, we saw how uh, like devastating they were to play against last season. Right. I mean, they were basically a bounce away and uh, for, from going to the Eastern Conference Finals and you know, you kind of wonder, like, if they have their issues in the regular season, but when it really comes, like, down to crunch time, that they kind of not not flip the switch, but they're able to just kind of 
I don't know, maybe it meshes differently. Maybe it's playoff basketball kind of favors their style more. Um, but like 28 to one, you know, I understand the odds are high because they have to get through the Bucks, which are one of the favorites. But um, I mean, if you know, I mean, if it, if the NBA Finals was a three-game series, for example, and you had three games between like Philly and one of the LA teams, I would feel like, I mean, if I was getting twenty-eight to one odds on that, I would like, you know, that's a life savings bet to right. me. But like, um, yeah, so I feel like those are good odds. And I, I also, I mean, I think the Clippers being third, uh, in the not throwing the odds, but what were their, what was their number again? Plus 330 or something like that? Yeah, plus 333 on DraftKings. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the um, this break benefits them a lot, right? Because Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were both, uh, I mean, Kawhi always has his injury, but right. Paul George was coming back from injury. And I think having the, you know, having all this time off, like really benefits Kawhi, who basically yep. got a ton of rest and is now presumably like as healthy as he's ever yep. been for a playoff run uh, other than, you know, before the injury. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think this, this, this shutdown benefits them. I agree. And they, I mean, they're, they're still a great team, but they were, you know, shuffling a little bit at the time of the shutdown. I mean, they had just lost to the Lakers um, and, and it kind of seemed like they were like, at their most vulnerable that they had been all year, which again, isn't saying much when you're talking about a team that's as good as they are. But, um, you know, I think like the Lakers, it seemed like had all the momentum at the time. And then, you know, that was just kind of sucked away. Whereas the Clippers were kind of moving in the other direction. Um, even as good as this top three is Lakers, Bucks and Clippers, I'm with you where like, I, I think, I think one of those teams is winning the title. I'm extremely confident in that. I don't know which of the three it's going to be. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think they're so far ahead of the rest of the field that it would be a non-competitive NBA finals. You know, like even if it's like, like you said, like, let's say it's Lakers Sixers. I don't think that's like a Lakers in four type of series at all. I, I think, I think these lower teams, you know, even a Boston, even a Toronto, um, even Miami, you know, I, I don't think those teams are getting there, but, but if they were like, they're good enough and they, you know, they they have these you know, kind of multiple schemes that they can throw at you. Like, I, I don't think this would be like a cakewalk, you know, Nets Lakers type of series that we would see 20 years ago. No, and kind of with like the, you know, the downfall of the Warriors, for lack of a better term, like the league is more balanced yes. than it ever has been. So we've been used to basically the past, you know, five, six, seven years of, uh, you know, basically like LeBron versus the Warriors. And the right. Warriors being this insane title favorite, I think like last year they might have been like minus 580 or something insane like that to win the title. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think people maybe they're, maybe are still adjusting to that kind of reality of the fact that you know, like you have to, like we're alluding to, the 76ers and the Lakers are extremely like that. That would be a series. I wouldn't expect you know either of those teams to get blown out more than once in a right. seven game series. And that's just like, hasn't been the case over the past five years. If you're talking yeah. about a, you know, if a six seed from one conference matched up against a one seed from a, a different conference. Right. I, I think if it's going to be Lakers bucks or Clippers bucks, it's going to be an all time series. Like I just can't see it going any other way unless there's an injury between now and then, like those, those, those teams are awesome. Like all time teams with all time players, the Bucks obviously have the depth that no one else has. The Clippers and the and the Lakers both have like the star duos that the Bucks don't have. Like I think that would be, it's it, you know impossible to imagine that series not going six or seven. 
any other team, though, I, like I said, I think could still be a really fun series. You know, like I, I think a, like a Clippers uh, Celtics finals would, would end up looking a lot like maybe like Heat Thunder in 2012, where, you know, the Heat, the Heat won handily, but the Thunder won game one in that series. And I, I think the better team ended up coming out on top, but you never felt like it was lopsided. You know, like I, I can't imagine we're going to end up with maybe the worst example of, of the lopsided finals, like pre-Warriors, was that 07 LeBron Cavs team that just got absolutely smashed by like peak Tim Duncan Spurs. You know, like I, I just I don't think we're ever we're not going to get a matchup like that because even those teams that are, you know, two through four, two through five in both conferences are, are still really good. They're still bringing a lot to the table. Right. And the. You know, the Celtics and the uh, Clippers are kind of built, I, I don't want to say exactly the same, but kind of similarly, yeah. where they have like their two, three and D wing players, uh, you know, and Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and they have their scoring guard with Kemba Walker and Lou Williams. Yep. And then, you know, kind of a specialized center with, you know, Clippers having Montrezl Harrell and the Celtics can go five out with Daniel Tice at the five. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah think, I think uh, the I think like Marcus Smart and Patrick Beverly kind of cancel out. That's a really good comment. Right. So let's look at some of the individual awards odds. Um, Giannis is still the overwhelming favorite for MVP. I, I think any chance, and we talked about this extensively back in March, but any chance that LeBron had to catch him vanish when the season uh, was suspended. I mean, uh, Giannis yeah. is minus 5,000. LeBron is plus 1,200. I, I think those guys are a lock to finish one and two. And I think it's easily going to be Giannis. Um, rookie of the year, kind of the same deal where I was against this, but it felt like Zion was maybe making a charge at Morant. But the fact that they're only going to play eight more games, <clears throat> excuse me, virtually locks this one in for Morant. He's at minus 10,000. I mean, that's as, as much of a lock as you're ever going to see. A defensive player of the year, coach of the year, and most improved player are the ones that are really interesting now. And defensive player of the year, according to the odds, is basically a two-man race between Giannis and Davis. And I, I've been on Davis' side for a lot of the year. I would have no problem whatsoever with Giannis winning it. I think it'd be cool to see um, an MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same year for the first time in a while. He's at minus 250. Davis is at plus 175. Uh, do you side with Giannis between those two? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I think it'll go with Davis. You know, I, I know a lot of people, I feel like I hear a lot of people talk like it's going to be Giannis, but... yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think, I think when I watch the box, so much of the focus is like about, you know, like Giannis is a great individual defender, but the Bucks scheme is about bringing people towards Brooke Lopez. Right. And that's like, that's what their scheme is at the end of the day. So, um, I feel like Anthony Davis does more as a team defender for the Lakers as Giannis does as a team defender for the Bucks. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think those two should be closer in odds, that's for sure. And they're, they're fairly close, but like I think they should both be like plus 150, you know, around that range. Like it, it, I don't think Giannis has this massive advantage. Um, and, and you mentioned Brooke Lopez. I mean, he's he's listed in the odds, but he's at plus 15,000. Like not really even a realistic candidate. No. Um, yeah, I just think he's not he's not going to win it because he's not a versatile defender. And you're going up against, you know, Giannis and Davis, who have, like, similar block numbers, but are, you know, also, like, perimeter defenders at times. Right. But if we're talking, like, who I would rather bet on between Davis and Giannis, I would just rather take the plus money because I think it's very close. So, coach of the year, according to the odds, there are really only three legitimate candidates. Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, 
and Mike Budenholzer and Nurse is the pretty heavy favorite at minus 1,000. Uh, Vogel and Bud are at plus 1,400. Uh, any issue there? It, it seems like this has kind of been trending toward Nurse for most of the year. No, I've been um, I've been saying that I think Nurse is the guy mm-hmm. pretty much all season. I just think what the talent of his roster relative to you know how close they are and uh, you know the fact that they're the second seed in the in the Eastern Conference. Not that their team is bad, but like you know, their best player is either Kyle Lowry or Pascal Siakam, and uh, they've dealt with injuries all year and everything. And I just think uh, you know his adjustment towards losing Kawhi Leonard, um, some of the narrative plays into that as well. But I do think I, I think I would lock him in there. Most improved player uh, per the odds, really only four guys who are truly in contention: Bam Adebayo, the favorite at minus one fifty. Brandon Ingram at plus 225, Luka Doncic at 5 to 1, and Jason Tatum at 16 to 1. After that, you go all the way down to to Devontae Graham at 80 to 1. I mean, I kind of like Ingram. I think yeah. I mean, he went from he went from people questioning whether his career was going to be over, like with his I mean, he had the, you know, uh yeah, the shoulder, the blood clot issue. And, you know, we were kind of wondering, like, when he got traded with it, uh, for Anthony Davis, like, how, what were you actually getting out of Brandon Ingram? And it seemed like he was potentially going to be the swing piece of this trade. And uh, his emergence into, like, an all-star is, I think, a lot more impactful for, uh, or, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really impactful. Mm-hmm. Not that Bam doesn't deserve to win it. Not that Bam's emergence wasn't awesome. Um, yeah. But... I don't know. I just I would I would rather side with Ingram here. Okay, so one, when are we going to get the deep dive into could the Lakers have kept Ingram instead of Kuzma? Because somehow <laughs> the Lakers the Lakers have taken no heat for this whatsoever, and the reporting at the time was all. You remember the deal was hinging on Kuzma. Would the Lakers include Kuzma? And they ultimately didn't. What if they had just included Kuzma and kept Ingram? Like you know what this Lakers team could use a third scoring option who averages twenty four a game and is now shooting 39% from three. I, I, how, I, just don't, I don't know how they've been let off the hook for this. And maybe maybe I'm just uninformed and they, they wouldn't have done the deal without Ingram and New Orleans knew it all along that he was going to make this leap. But it's insane that they haven't really faced more flack for that. Two, um, I'm with you. I, I, think, I think these should be closer. I think this one is like 50-50 to me. I would have no problem with either player winning it. I think Ingram is the more traditional guy to win this award because his his jump is just like dra- more drastic and had, the scoring I think is where it really jumps out like Bam's averaging 16 and 10 which is awesome but I think some people who vote on this would just be like yeah 16 points like that's not all that great Ingram's averaging almost 25 you know with six rebounds four and a half assists a steal um you know he he what it, it took him like 11 games or something to hit more threes than he'd hit all of last season you know like he's really transformed himself in every phase of the game he's become a drastically better three-point shooter. He upped his free throw percentage by like 18 percentage points. Um, there, there's a case to be made for both. Like I think Adebayo, like his improvements are more, like more intangible. I, I guess you know, like they're harder to measure statistically. Like he's he's become a much much better player. But unless you're watching 75% of the Heat's games this year, you might not know it in the same way that you know about Ingram. Yeah, I mean, I think Ingram should get the benefit here because he was, I mean, he he's a driving force of like playmaking. He had the ball in his hands all the time to make the to make a leap as a playmaker and as a scorer. 
and as someone who has the ball in their hands constantly, is way, I think, more difficult than to make the leaps that Adebayo took, um, which was, you know, I mean, he was a high post passer, which is good. He, he improved his assist, but I think he was always a good defender. He's always a good rebounder. Uh, he did improve his scoring a little bit, but I think those are easier jumps to make than what than what Ingram did. All right, you got anything else bubble related, NBA shutdown related, like literally anything to do with the league? No, I don't think so. Do you? I do not. No, I I will of course shamelessly plug our you know NBA fantasy redraft series, which we continue to crank out. We'll have 2017 up on the site later today. Uh, we're working on a couple other things, you know, in the meantime, but. As great as it is to have the NBA back, we still basically have like two more months. So, you know, we, we still have a lot of content to fill before we can really start, you know, the DFS projections and things like that. Yeah, that's true. All right, man. Well, we'll be back later this week, either doing a rewatch or kind of another newsy type of pod checking in on things. But appreciate you taking the time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.